0: You're listening to Welcome to Eloma, a podcast for highly ambitious dreamers who get shit done. I'm your host, Kylie Peters. This is a space where we talk about growing your business from seven figures to eight. Now, many of you know that I stake my claim in the small business space and very rarely Do we ever consider an eight-figure business to be a small business? Um, However, for anyone listening who has either had a shift in strategy, a new vision, a new partner, acquisition, you name it, listen up. Because today we're going to talk about some of the big shifts needed to take your business from seven figures to eight with our guest, Julie Ellis. Julie is an author, professional speaker, and leadership coach to Scaling Entrepreneurs. She brings her 25 years of corporate and Canadian entrepreneurial experience to the table and is co-founder of award-winning Mabel's Labels, one of Canada's greatest small business success stories. So let's go ahead and jump into this. Welcome to Eloma, Julie. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, we are excited to have you. Um, You're definitely the first person we've had on the show with this area of expertise. So I'm very excited to jump into this. Uh, Julie, we talked not too long ago about the differences in going from a seven-figure to eight-figure business. Uh, We know that going from a million to 10 million definitely doesn't happen overnight and is quite a leap. But talk to us a little bit about that journey from getting from 1 million to 10 and what owners need to do to position themselves for success.
1: Yeah. I think as you go from one to two to three million, you start sort of stress testing the systems that you've put into place that have gotten you there yep. and you begin to um, need to have more defined roles for the employees that you hire. It's mm-hmm. not as much of, um, you know, I need someone really resourceful who can kind of do everything higher anymore. It's people that have more specific skill sets and you're trying to Uh, split jobs, you might hire people to manage people that reported to you before, Um, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. And I think it's, it's a real um, stage of formalization. You know, you can, you can be formal at a million, but it's a different level of processes and communication that need to come into play to find success.
0: Yeah. So, so what are some of the challenges we talk you just mentioned uh people very specifically but what other challenges can people start to anticipate you know um I know one of the things you had mentioned last time the difference between emotional and, and going from uh people looking at this as a job you know so yes. what other challenges should owners be um keeping their eye out for
1: yeah so I think HR human resources comes into play in earnest around You know, the people that come to early teams are all lifting. Everybody's lifting and striving for something. And somewhere along the line to $10 million, you have people who have jobs. And so Mm -hmm. there's a difference in how people want to be treated and in the formality that you need to have in place. I think the process changes and with them come technology changes where you've had a really, maybe you manage projects off a spreadsheet, let's say, and suddenly sure. the team has gone from three people to launch something to 13 people. And mm-hmm. the spreadsheet is somebody accidentally deleted it from the Google drive. Oh and, no. Right. I mean, <laughs> it's those, it's those kind of things where you start or the moving parts are too many and the spreadsheet doesn't work anymore because you're not seeing sort of the collisions and contingencies that happen. And so I think everybody reaches a phase where it feels like everything's gotten really hard and nothing is going very smoothly.
0: Yeah. Okay, so HR being a big one, technology being a big one. Mm -hmm. Technology session. Like the
1: amount of formality in communication that you start to need in order to make sure that all the people who need to hear uh, pieces of news or updates, are actually getting them it you know used to be you had three people you could kind of update each of them at, on an ad hoc basis and everybody kind of knew what was going on and you can't do that anymore somebody's always being left out or somebody you know and it is often but it is often the same person even though you don't intend it to be you know something like that starts happening right where it's like why didn't i know this i never know anything and so making sure that you start to think about how you have to do things. And communication is a really big piece also, I think, because you have to reiterate and communicate more than you ever think that you need to. Okay. And so that's a big piece. And then technology changeovers, like foreseeing when you're going to hit the limit on a system that you may have acquired or that you're using that's core to your business and how difficult it will be to make changes.
0: Oh, technology changes suck. Yes, they do. (laughs) They do. And everything's so
1: integrated now that it makes it really challenging. I think it's also like the uh, plethora of options that are out there makes it hard to figure out what, what to adopt and what's gonna work for you and not to buy something that's too heavy of a hammer, right? So how do you make changes that take you more than a year, but probably not to three years? when you're growing really quickly. Yeah. You know, so can you find technology? Yes. And can you find technology that will scale with you, but isn't so big at the beginning that nobody wants to use it because it's way too complex for what you need to do. So I think that's the art actually of growth in this phase is finding things that will last for long enough that you're not like, it feels wasteful or like a wasted effort to actually get them, but also that you're not buying things you need at 20 million. You you know, you've got to find this path and it's very tricky to do to not over, you know, the hammer, put the hammer down with over processes and over techno like technology that's just way too complicated, those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, while at the same time feeling like, okay, it's, it's that feeling like, you know, as soon as you know what you're doing, something big change, some big change is coming down the pipe. And so you've got to stay, you know, with that growth mindset of, okay, let's go. Let's learn this. How do I learn it? Who do I need around me to help me learn it? Mm-hmm. How do I, you know, sitting at 4 million, knowing I want to go to 10, how do I assemble some team who can help me get there, but who still has the capability of working at 4 million?
0: Yeah, that's a whole thing, man. Yeah. Um, okay. I have a lot of follow-up questions here. Yeah, so for sure. how would you like, is there a role? Is, is that like, is that an external consultant or is it like an internal role that somebody hires to like plan for that process in terms of like the people and the systems and the technology, et cetera? Or is it more of like a gradual, hey, here's our five-year plan and we're just going to slowly chip away at it kind of thing? I
1: think that's more of what it is. Sometimes I think you hire external advisors or consultants to help you with really specific things. Sure. Um, like at one point at Mabel's Labels, we had an operational coach. So somebody who was really strong at seeing operations and how we needed to make changes to scale. Um, and so they came very broadly into the business as an advisor to the founders Uh, At other times, we also had like somebody who was really skilled in Lean Six Sigma who came in and Mm -hmm. helped us really overhaul and vision the next era of our production facility. And that was, you know, somebody who came in and worked with production. So it was sort of because we didn't need to necessarily hire somebody. We needed someone to help us envision the system. And then we had the technology sure. team to build it. So we just needed, you know, so where do you need that help and where can it help you? Uh, we could have hired that expert. It would have probably been expensive and we didn't truly need them all the time. Yeah. So if we could bring that into the culture and then we could look at, okay, now should we send some people from our organization to get trained up and and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So that was sort of how we would layer Advisors in and experts who could help us with things.
0: Um, at, is there a, any correlation or like a, you know, I key metric in terms of revenue to overhead head count or sorry head count not overhead. You know, obviously, I'm sure the answer is it depends on the business. But I'm just curious if there's you know you need to hit a certain number to hire a certain number of people or if it goes in inverse or if it totally depends on the business.
1: I think it depends on the business because it depends sure. on what kind of gross margin you're working on and what that leaves you for staffing. Um once we knew our business, we knew, you know, kind of percentages of what we were spending on staff. And know. then we would make decisions around okay, so we have a budget to hire somebody. We need some really great expertise in let's say marketing. And sure. The person we need is really, really expensive and we can't afford them. But if we could hire somebody, you know, middle ground and hire the really expensive person as a consultant and have them come in and give us advice, that yep. allows us to, you know, work our budget in a much more effective way. For and sure. So we would do things like that as well in terms of, you know, can I can I get even better quality? but on a on a fractional basis that will help bring the knowledge into the business that we need and teach our people about how to execute on it.
0: So so training your team to level up by utilizing highly trained experts in small doses. Yeah. Um you talk a little bit about KPIs, key performance indicators. What are some of the big KPIs that businesses who are looking to scale so aggressively as you're talking about need to keep in mind?
1: I think they need to know when to when to stick to the KPIs they've set out. Like obviously they need to make gross margin, you know, top of top line for revenue needs to be important. Gross margin also needs to be important because if you're not, you know, making profitable sales, then you have you you have a problem, you're gonna run out of cash, right? Um mm-hmm. so you know and and if you are in that negative territory are you fundraising how are you how are you getting the cash flow you need to scale the business up um we bootstrapped our business so the way we managed it those KPIs on gross margin and then what was below the line was meeting budget so we would establish an annual budget and then that would allow our team to be able to spend within the budget they had created and had approved. So it also gave them the autonomy to run their departments. And we weren't stuck overseeing every single $5 that went out the door. Cause For you sure. can't anymore, right? So it's that like letting go and rising up. So I would say, you know, the metrics we were watching were mostly sales related KPIs. And then we also had some metrics that were specific to us as an e-commerce business, right? Like what was our cost of acquisition per customer? What Mm -hmm. was our open rate on our email? What was the click through, you know, how many repeats, how many times did a customer repeat? How long did it take them to repeat? So we started to dig into, you know, customer behavior and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. And then,
1: you know, our tech team would be, you know, on time delivery of software updates, uptime of the website, you know, so you just start to sort of look for metrics that each team can start to be responsible for, as well as the overall umbrella metrics of the business.
0: Yep, that's what I was just gonna say. That's what it sounds like you're saying. Um, okay, so KPIs by department and then KPIs for the business overall. And um, you're saying make sure that everyone's clear on things like budget, KPIs, et cetera, and then give them the space to run and own own that and then communicate effectively. You've asked for it, so I'm building it. I've taken the feedback I've received over the last year regarding our in-person workshops and retreats, and I'm building out a masterclass for women looking to leave corporate and launch their own consulting business. I know most of you are planners, so you're not looking to jump ship tomorrow, nor should you. So we're building out the most comprehensive six-month course with over a dozen industry experts that will meet virtually once a week live to answer any questions and create the community necessary to succeed in entrepreneurship while giving you the opportunity to digest the content when it works best for you and your schedule. This first cohort will launch October 3rd. I meet every Tuesday for six months with a few adjustments for the holidays. You'll gain access to the starter kit, six months of content walking you through everything you need to know how to start your consulting business the right way. In addition to three one-on-one coaching sessions, since this is our pilot program, we're offering what would be a $10,000 investment for $7,000 and payment plans are available as needed. Working with all these experts would cost you well over $60,000 though. So save yourself 50 grand and a few years of trying to figure it out on your own and join us this October for a program that I promise will change your life. Learn more at com. You had also mentioned setting up those communication standards and formalizing that. Do you have any recommendations in terms of communication cadences and or who should be involved for people who are scaling? We did a
1: number of things. So, you know, like an internal weekly newsletter is one option, depending on, especially now that more teams are virtual and hybrid than ever before. I think, you know, thinking about those formal points of communication, who's in charge of that? Who's in charge of making sure? Is it the CEO or the founder? Is it, you know, somebody who leads the customer experience? Is it somebody who leads, you know, in HR? I think there is somebody who leads in marketing or sales. I think it depends on what your business, where your focus is. And that will help you to figure out who leads, but then who's contributing? What are the things that are contributed? Um, in our office for a long time, we had a wall right inside the front door that basically had all our stats on it. And here's how the month is going. Here's how, you know, we're 75% of the way. We're ahead of target because it's April 11th. And, you know, so now we we are in good in a good place or we're behind. So here are the things we're going to try and do. Here are the things our customers have complimented us on. Here are problems that we've found, you know, and kind of that like snapshot of communication worked really well for us. I think you could host something like that virtually as well.
0: For sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So we talked about hiring in consultants. Were there any, uh, types of consultants that you have hired or know of people who have hired that surprised you? Like you're like, oh, I didn't even know this was a person that I should have hired. <laughs> um.
1: Well, we ourselves hired a retail sales expert when we decided to launch a, pre- a product into retail. And okay. uh, that person helped us uh, create the project plan, helped us sell it to Walmart and Target and you know, using their connections, but also their knowledge of the other side um, really helped us. They had also, so, and they had sort of worked at like some CPG side and some retailer side. So that really helped us because that consumer packaged goods experience that they brought to the table helped us understand what we were going to have to do when the product actually sat in the store. How do you package it? How does it look? How do you have to deliver it? And and they didn't have expertise in every single thing, but they had a lot of connections and that really helped us. And I wouldn't have probably thought when we went into it that that yeah. would be quite so much, but it really was, we were starting an entirely different business to our custom on-demand printing that we did in our own warehouse um, for, our, for our D2C business.
0: Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, cause people always, th- you know, you know, like, Oh, well a marketing consultant or a strategy or ops or, you know, but that's a good reminder that, uh, to lean into and trust yourself in terms of what you know about your business and get clear and pinpoint yeah. the problem areas. And there's probably somebody out there who specializes in exactly that thing. Right. Right.
1: Yeah. I even had it for, I had a couple of people who were mentors to me. So I led our IT function and have never written a line of code in my life. <laughs> and so I had 10 people in that department. That was 25% of our team was working in IT. We had custom built software that ran our backend, produced the labels, all the things. And so it became, I needed sounding boards to be like, does this hang together? Like does this make sense? This is what I'm hearing. This is why I'm hearing a project's gonna take three months longer than we need it to, or you know, all of those kinds of questions. Um, it just gave me that opportunity to have somebody as the mentor and a sounding board. So I think they yeah. can come for all different reasons. Like if you can think of it, you can probably find somebody.
0: <laughs> um, and you touch on technology. So we we mentioned like Upgrading your systems and knowing when it's time to make that transition. Um, What systems, processes, technologies do you recommend somebody that's scaling from seven to eight figures? What do they need to have in place like bare minimum and like nice to have kind of things?
1: They need some kind of customer management tool, a CRM or, Mm -hmm. you know, something where they can house their information and, you know, they can communicate with their customers, all of those kinds of things. Um, I mean, obviously they need sort of day-to-day like email management, office baseline, you know, all the programs that are needed Um, and they probably need something where there is, you know, some kind of like tools for, um, visibility on projects and what's happening there, you know, whether you're like using some management. Yeah. And I mean, it can even be something like, you know, for our it sprints. So we were doing sort of a sprint methodology, mm-hmm. um, prioritizing the work, setting two weeks. We would use like a Trello board and you could just sure. really easily see like where's everybody's work at, move the cards across the different categories. So you need something where you can catch a visual of it and where you can stay updated as well because you know and that gave me the ability as a leader to go in and be like, ah, oh, this is kind of getting off track. I should probably turn up to one of their daily standup meetings and find out what's going on.
0: Yep. Okay, so right? I'm, I'm hearing you say... CRM and project management. Yep like really make the investment in those two and make sure they're working for you.
1: Yeah. And then, I mean, it depends, you know, at some point you, you cross over to needing some kind of an ERP type system, but that really depends on where your complexities are. Like essentially the custom software we built ourselves at Mabel's labels was our ERP because it managed sort of, you know, it spat out all the financial reports that held all the customer data. It did the, you know, processed everything through our, our system. Um, But, you know, those ERP, um, and we ultimately, I mean, we custom built that system because we couldn't afford to buy one at the time that we needed it. Um, But Mm -hmm. it is figuring out like, yeah, what are those big investment pieces? Where's your complexity? Like our complexity and and another place we invested heavily was website because, Mm -hmm. you know, not so much in the early days, but in the, in the scaling days, because our complexity was the you're typing in your name onto a label and we want our website to show you what that looks like. We want it to show you, you pick a design, you pick a size and a shape of label, you type in your name. We want that to render for you on the website. That was mm-hmm. our complexity. Other places, you know, if you've got an inventory that has 15,000 SKUs in it, there's your complexity right there, yeah. <laughs> right? So it, it really depends on where your complexity
0: sits in your business. What you'll need to help you. Okay. I don't know if you can answer this one. Not that it's meant to be a trick question, but I'm just curious. So we know that making investments in technologies takes time, takes money, and you're trying to make an investment that, you know, isn't too heavy for right now, but is going to allow for you to not bang your head against the wall moving forward. So in your experience, what is like a reasonable amount of time to make this investment and then like, if it probably hurts for a little while while you get it in place, but is it like, okay, once it's in place, give it a six months, a year, et cetera, till you start to see the ROI on it, or is it immediate or what's been your experience?
1: My experience has been more that the investment period is, you know, six to nine months to launch a new website. That's more the investment period. And then once you launch, you have a troubleshooting period mm-hmm. of of six weeks to 12 weeks. And then it should really start to show you the ROI. Um, I, you know, but- IT projects are hard and they can really mm. go south on you. And that's can be, it's incredibly stressful, especially if you're a not non-technical founder and you don't have technical people around you. And so it is finding, trying to find good people, probably advisors or consultants who can help you with that piece because, yeah. you know, you sh- if it's going to take a year before you see ROI, you're going to have to calculate that from the very beginning. Yeah. To into, into, you know, it's going to take a year and this is, but like you get to, you know, putting in a new ERP system can cost a million dollars, right? So the, you know, getting that full value back is going to take some time, but yeah. it shouldn't take, you know, three years before you start to see value from it. Okay. But it is that change management piece. I almost think it's like the people piece is as hard as the tech piece because- yeah you know, training people and troubleshooting and making sure they get it and, and like letting go of, of, you know, yeah, we might've done some things before that were better, but they weren't scalable. And like, Mm -hmm. what are all those trade-offs and how you bring everybody along towards them is a really hard thing. It's like that same thing when they talk about delegating where founders don't like to delegate because it will never be done to the 100% that I will do it at. Yep. <laughs> but, but you lose sight of the fact that a whole bunch of people doing 80 to 85% means that I have so much more capacity. And yep. so it's that same kind of thing with technology, right? You have to, there are some things you may have to let go of and you've got to prioritize what you really need out of it so that you get the best outcome you can.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Focus on what's really matters to you. Um, Okay, and the last area I wanna talk about in terms of like specifically focusing on growth, I would imagine that mindset plays a role in in this rapid growth. Well, I shouldn't say rapid, but in this aggressive growth strategy. So what mindset shifts do people need to prepare themselves for when going through this growth phase? I
1: think it's things
0: around
1: the decisions feel bigger And when they feel bigger, they can feel harder to make, right? So, so like, okay, this is a, this is a million dollar decision. It's no longer a $5,000 decision, right? Like those kinds of things. (laughs) And, and I, I wrote about this in my book. You have to be so careful because not making a decision is also a decision. Sitting on your hands and thinking, oh, is, is not a decision that you want to end up in because your team is looking to you to continue to drive things forward. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, finding a really good decision-making process to help you, I think is part of it and understanding what you need in order to make a decision. You need data. What do you, you need a business case? Like what are the different pieces that you need in order to successfully move forward Um, And then I think it's, you know, keeping that growth mindset of there are advantages to being bigger and having struggles because you can afford to bring people on to help you solve them, right? You can afford an advisor or a mentor, you know, a consultant who comes in for a brief period. So there are advantages to that, but sometimes it can feel hard all the time. So keeping that growth mindset, right? Like I, yes, it's, you know, yes, I don't know. And I'm learning and, you know, and also being conscious of like, when we all had that great idea and we started our business, you know, in my case, in a basement, um, we dreamed of it being really big. Like we dreamed from the very beginning about having an IPO or doing something very big with our business. But the reality of growing a business is that it's hard and you shouldn't do it alone. You know, you need to find networks and you need to find resources where you can be amongst other people that are doing the same hard things and you can find, you know, they'll be like, oh, I had that problem and I did this about it. Like, you've got to put people around yourself because if you become an island,
0: then it becomes more and more difficult, I think. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's probably true for any stage of business. You know, it's... It's never easy. Uh, I've read, um, somebody posted this on LinkedIn earlier, but I was like, yes, I say this all the time. Like, I don't think it gets easier. I think you just get better because the problems get harder, you know? Right. So when you can find your people, you know, whatever that means to you at whatever stage of business you're in, like there's something really, really special about not having to go at it alone. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, yeah there really is. There really is. I really, I'm a huge believer in community because I feel like entrepreneurship can be so,
0: so lonely if you don't build community for yourself. A thousand percent, right. Um, Now, Julie, you've gone through this process. What have been some of your greatest learning lessons doing this work? Hmm,
1: I think that I will say, like learning to have effective systems for things, Um, delegating, decision-making, you know, learning about yourself, like, you know, you have that big decision to make and you're over-consulting right? You run into people where you're like, well, I've talked to, I've talked to 11 people about this. And I'm now I'm even more stuck because I have 11 different answers about what I should do. And I don't know what to do. And so like setting some limits, setting limits for myself being like, okay, big decision. I'm going to consult three people. I think those are the best three people. And you know, anyone else who has an opinion, I'm going to, you know, kind of try and close down a little bit because you can yeah. get into that inertia, right? So it's figuring out what you need to keep yourself moving forward. And for me, it was about having some systems and some ways that, you know, I could articulate to my team. I'm like, hey, I love this idea, but you can't get a yes from me on it right now because here are the three things I need from you. I need, I need a bit of a business case. Doesn't have to be huge, but give me a one page. Give me a little financial projection. And, you know, tell me why this is a priority over other things. If you can do that for me, then I have enough information to make a decision about.
0: You know, I love that. I love, I'm making notes over here. As you said, decision-making process. Like that sounds so simple, but I, and we all make decisions every day, but I have no documented process. And so now that's on my to-do list is like, create the process of which to make decisions And then maybe we make fewer decisions on the path of making the ultimate decision because we have a process to follow.
1: Yeah. And it's those decisions where you're like, why am I stuck here? And why don't I want to make this decision? Those are the ones where you need some kind of a process for yourself or the ones where you get all tangled up and you're like, oh, why did I go and ask them now? I don't know what like, uh." ah, those are the ones where you need. And, and, and there's probably a pattern to them and how they like, is it in a certain area of the business where you feel less comfortable or less sure Mm -hmm. of yourself? Like what are the parameters of why it happens? And try and then, figure out how you can how you can navigate that.
0: Yeah, and I love how you said to learn more about yourself and then connecting that with what you just said here there's probably patterns in the decisions that you're struggling with the most. So just calling that out of like, hey guys, think about this, like this is probably not the first time this has happened. What's the real root here? Um that's a great call out. That's a great call out. I am so excited to announce the launch of our defining success mastermind. This is a six-month program that will meet once a month virtually for two hours. You'll be led by a seasoned business expert with a guest speaker each month based on that month's topic. We'll also be placing people into mastermind groups quite strategically to ensure you're properly matched with others having similar challenges or in similar places in their business. The value of this program is estimated to be over $12,000, but we're bringing it to you for just $350 a month. We'll be launching new groups twice a year, once in July and again in January with application cutoff dates at the end of May and at the end of November respectively. So don't miss out and apply today for free at rixmastermind.com. Julie, what do you wish you could have done differently, if anything?
1: I don't think I'd have done too many things differently because I feel like even the things that didn't go the way that were anticipated were such learning opportunities. And you, I mean, that is a normal thing that happens really. You can't expect everything to go perfectly. Um, And so I wouldn't change a whole lot. Um, you know, I had co-founders, we had, we, we ran that business together and really for us, we ended up in a great place because we knew we were going to make some big changes going forward. And then we were able to sell the business. And so that was a big change that probably we didn't anticipate, but it, um, definitely, you know, was a, was a good, it was a good timing in terms of where the founding group was. So I wouldn't really change a whole lot. The thing I might've changed for myself, um, and I don't know how I would have changed this, but in the after exit period was kind of difficult for me. And so doing some work to think about that before we actually closed the transaction and I thought about what I might want to do next would have probably been good.
0: Yeah. yeah. You know, that's one of the things that we talk about a lot in preparing for exit planning is, you know, there's so many moving pieces, but so often we forget about like the emotional aspect and we forget about the human reality that tomorrow you don't wake up and you don't go to the job that you've been yeah. at for however many years. And yeah. uh yeah, that's a great call out. Like that's you know, some people are like, Oh, well, what are you so mad about? You've got all this money now and all this free time, and isn't that what everybody wants? But it's like, but as humans, we still need purpose. Yeah. And there's still a lot more there. Yeah. Yeah. And the sort
1: of difference of for me, it was the difference also after of, you know, where my skill set sits is like, bring me to the strategy table and let me figure out how to put the puzzle together. And Mm -hmm. and that is like, I adore it. I'm good at it. And, and suddenly you sell the business and there's other people who take that on. And, Mm. and so, you know, it, it took me through then a cycle where, you know, ultimately I left and really I left because I didn't want to work for somebody else. Um, Yeah. But it took me some time to figure that out.
0: Yeah. And it's a very personal journey. Absolutely. Yes, it is. Absolutely. And okay. So Julie, what are you, what are you working on now? What's, what's in the, what's on the horizon?
1: So now I, my book, Big Gorgeous Goals came out last year and I've been really, thank you. And I've been really focusing in now on women who are growing businesses up to 10 million and working on- um, mastermind group for them, as well as some one-on-one offerings, um, to work with people to really create the plan to do that. Um, because it's big changes and it's, um, you know, a bit of a bumpy and a lonely road. And so just trying to bring people together around that, because I have a real passion for women entrepreneurs and I would love to see more women growing big businesses and having great success.
0: Yes. Yeah. I know we talked about that briefly. I'm definitely on the lower half, I'd say, you know, I'm, I'm working on the people who are maybe half of a million, a quarter million to like two or three, um, maybe tops, but yeah, it's, it's nice to know that there's counterparts. Right. So it's like, yeah, as we all go through these stages of life, it's like, okay, now, now go talk to Julie, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, that's great. Uh, Julie, what, uh, as you think about, you know, your life and your life's work and, you know, the impact you want to make. What is the impact you want to make or the legacy you want to leave on the world?
1: I want people to want to be entrepreneurs and especially women and to really embrace, um, entrepreneurship. Um, there's so many biases in, you know, financing businesses and getting investors and all of those things that really working with women to grow big businesses is, is a big piece of, of what I want to leave for the world. Um, and I, you know, telling my stories and, um, some of the you know, other entrepreneurs that I know who also have grown big businesses and and really helping people, you know, yeah. take that step up,
0: yeah. i I've said this a number of times, but I feel like there are very few entrepreneurs I've met who have started their business for any reason other than to help somebody do something.
1: Yeah, I think women in particular see a need, they see needs in the world. And yeah. I find it endlessly fascinating what people see that causes them to start businesses. Like it's so fascinating the different things that we all see as needs based on our mm-hmm. own experiences and where we come from. And
0: I really that I find that really inspiring. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so you've uh, you've done a few things in the world of entrepreneurship. You've lived some life. What is your greatest insight or discovery about life and entrepreneurship? That you
1: have to find... I mean, people talk about balance or for me, it's more about like a flow that can work between them because entrepreneurship can take over your life and you need to, (laughs) you need to protect yourself for the long Mm -hmm. haul. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And so I think that is a huge learning of, you know, not taking, being serious about being an entrepreneur while not
0: taking yourself too seriously. Yeah. 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 That's, that's one to noodle on. Yeah. That's a good call. That's a good call. Yeah. And it's Um, a hard thing to do. (laughs) It is. I think it it requires a lot of boundaries, a lot of self-discipline, a lot of constant reevaluation, but you're absolutely right. A hundred percent. Julie, thank you so much for sharing all of your words of wisdom with us today. For anybody listening, uh, if they want to get in touch with you and learn more about you or potentially work with you, what's the best way for them to contact you?
1: They can reach me
0: at julieellisandco.com or they can find me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, okay. And for anybody listening, if you've enjoyed today's conversation, please go ahead and leave a review wherever you're listening. And Julie, thank you again so much for joining us on the show. We really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: To continue learning how to better build your business and make your vision a reality, Subscribe to the Welcome to Eloma email list at welcometoeloma.com.